Off the ball. Somebody says this is bizarre radio. Ice cream on a pancake. Tuna. <laughs> He's brought shame to the whole town, village where he lives. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Now, very sad news today that the commentary great John Motson died at the age of 77. He had one of the remarkable media careers. He covered 10 World Cups, 10 European Championships and commentated on 29 FA Cup finals for BBC Sport. He also worked on Match of the Day for close on 50 years before he retired from the organisation back in 2018. Forward it goes again. Quinn heads on. Oh, surely this time for King. And Ireland do it. Robbie King, in the second minute of stoppage time, has scored the equaliser. Look at these scenes. Just look at these scenes. And you can't say they don't deserve it. That Hereford game came along, of course. You know, Ronnie Radford and all that. And, and I got... That match got elevated to the top of the show at a time when I should have been right down at the bottom, really. No, if Ronnie Radford's shot had hit the bar and come out, I wouldn't be sitting here now. Radford again. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Radford, the scorer. Ronnie Radford. And the crowd. The crowd are invading the pitch. Oh, Brady won it beautifully. decent voice, uh, you've got to have a sense of timing, you've got to know when to talk and when not to talk, and I think you've got to try and get across essentially what the viewer can't experience at home, which is the excitement in the crowd, uh, something that you might spot, you know, which the cameras are just about to reach that still hasn't become apparent. You are the eyes and the ears of the viewer. Going at them again, brilliant run by Maradona, fantastic goal, unbelievable. Yeah, the unmistakable voice of John Motson, who passed away today at the age of 77. To remember John Motson, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by his former BBC colleague, Conor McNamara. Good evening, Conor. Hey, Nathan, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, listening to all those moments uh, bring back so many different memories and you can visualise almost where you were sitting watching each match as you hear the commentary for John Motson. He was just such a ubiquitous figure in mm. our lives for so many years, for so many important moments, probably for so many people, moments they spent with their family, with their friends. He was right there in the living room with them. Yeah, it, it, the voice, isn't it? And the way he was able to inject ins- excitement into the voice and yet he never got too excited. You could always hear every word, which is the sort of key because you think of the 
incredibly dramatic moments he he was involved in and he was to describe, but he never, you know, it never became a, you know, a screech of a commentary. It was always in control. You could always hear every syllable. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, 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 I guess, you know, he, he sort of is the football commentator. I think if you went to any cartoonist in the world and you said, draw me a little drawing there of what a, a football commentator looks like, they draw Motti, wouldn't they? That's mm. that, that's sort of what it that, that that's what a commentator looks like, and and his voice is what a commentator sounds like. And and you know, I, I remember when I started in BBC, and I it was a long time ago, two thousand and two. Actually, you know, even just before that, it's just just occurred to me. I'd forgotten about this till now. The first ever commentary I did uh, was the old um, Radio Ireland before it became Today FM um, FA Cup final nineteen ninety seven, and John Motson was was told that there was this young Irish commentator who was doing his first commentary, and he recorded an audio message. And they sent it over. And of course, you know, nowadays it's like on a WhatsApp or whatever. This is like would have been properly like recorded on a tape and sent over. And they played that just before the uh, the game. And I remember getting ready, you know, sitting at Wembley, getting ready to the commentary. And there was this message in, you know, hi, it's John Matson here. And just want to wish Conor McNamara the best of luck. And I know it's your first commentary. Hope there'll be many more. All this kind of stuff. The fact he would take even a few minutes to do that was uh, what was the mark of the guy. So fair play to him. I was going to say, that's all, uh, that's all you need is you're about to do your first ever commentary. Yeah. The, great, the greatest <laughs> well, uh, guiding exactly. you into it. <laughs> no, exactly. And and look, I mean, I think, you know, when I joined the BBC in 2002 and I did meet him in, in, in Television Centre and obviously I'd meet him at games and um, you sort of felt like you were meeting one of these, you know, like Neil Armstrong type people. You know, you knew it wasn't a fictitious character. You knew it was a real person. But wow, you know, one of the most famous people in the land. And I guess if you're a five or six year old or you're the, the grandparents, you, you knew who John Matza was. He, he was literally one of the most famous people in, in the UK over the last half a century. Ten World Cups, ten European Championship. 29 FA Cup finals you would have spent time with him in latter years in those final tournaments mm. that he covered never got a sense from listening to him from watching him when he'd be pitch side before the match that his enthusiasm for the occasion for the trip for the match it, it, it never seemed to wane yeah, I'd agree with that. And I I mean, my, my sort of recollections, I remember the first time I did a game with them, and you, you'll remember this, Nathan, but the way they used to do it with BBC Radio was you'd have two commentators and you would do 22 and a half minutes each and you'd hand over. And I, I was all, you know, I'd be with the likes of Mike Ingham and Alan Green and John Matson, and I'd be the sort of junior guy. So I would invariably go first and I'd hand over to them. And I remember, I'd, you know, you'd get that little buzz, that hair at the back of your neck when you'd sort of go midway through the first half at Villa Park, it's 1-1, here through to halftime is John Matson. And, you know, it just, it was so cool to say that, to, to be on his team. But the recollection I had of him, and it, it kind of goes back to what you say about how he, you know, he, he he sounded like he was the enthusiasm was there. When I went up to work with him for the first time, I thought, look, this is Marty. He'll be cool cat. He will just be laid back. The work is done. I've got this, you know, cigars out. And not at all. He was a cat on a hot tin roof. He was worried. He was, who's the linesman? How do you pronounce the referee? How do you, you know? And he wanted all that detail up until the last minute to the point that you kind of went like, geez, you're, you're John Motson. You could just go on and say anything and people mm. would be impressed. But he, he was he was a real stickler for getting everything right. And I think he maybe was a, a, a predecessor for what more people get now with social media is that because he was that sort of national treasure status in the UK and because everyone knew who he was he didn't want to make mistakes he didn't want to be to be cut out so he was always paranoid about it and he knew that if he did make a mistake it would be noticed so um, yeah that was sort of my recollection that I, I thought he'd be just so relaxed oh if an hour to kick off when actually he was he was nervous and this is Matty you know late in life having done it a million times uh, that really stood out reading his autobiography was 
sleepless nights before big games which again you would assume once you're doing this five years ten years and you've done a World Cup final once you've done a World Cup final you've done them all that, but no he, he still felt the need to be that meticulous in his preparation he did also come from a very different era to the one now where access is so restricted I, mm. he spoke in that autobiography about Hillsborough which wasn't on the BBC he was he was there commentating for uh, for Offtube for the highlights package mm. and all of that but in that he said, you know, he would ring Kenny Dalglish the night before the game for the team news. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. And and just on that, I mean, when I say about sort of being being cat on a hot tin roof before a game, I remember doing a game with him, and we we couldn't work out, you know, predecessor to the normal sort of Pep Guardiola stuff. Now it's like, oh, is that going to be a back three, or is it going to be a back four, or is he going to play left back? And you know, we, we, there was a kind of an uncertainty, whatever the game was. And Marty, like, you know, couldn't just leave it. He was like, right, I'm going down to find out. And down he went and into the tunnel, you know. And and I think in in years gone by, that was that was a very normal thing where he would be in contact with people. And of course, everyone knows who he is. And even if it was a new, you know, foreign manager came into English football, they knew who Matty was. They're not going to, you know, usher him away. So he would have the little whisper. He'd say, "Look, I'm not going to tell anyone, but I need to know for my commentary prep. Are you playing the back five or whatever?" And and invariably they would tell him. And and that was the the mark of him. You know that that's my sort of recollection of Matty. You'd see him standing down there in the technical area while the teams are warming up and he's just chin-wagging with the, the, the backroom staff, the assistant coaches. He didn't need any accreditation. You know, he, mm. he was Matty. The sheepskin code got him got him wherever he needed to be. When you started working with him, it was towards the latter stages of his career and the rivalry with, with Barry Davies was probably something mm. that was sort of in the past by then. It was striking the pressure he felt during that time and it was noticeable almost a jealousy he had of Brian Moore over on ITV who didn't have a rival, mm. who just got all the games. Yeah. He got all of the big games and he wouldn't have to be sweating. Hey, we look back now, Motson was definitely the voice of football and maybe because Davies you associate with big Olympic moments as well as mm. football moments. But a director of football would change at the BBC and he never knew and it felt like he was always on te- always felt a need mm. to prove not just to the audience but actually internally in the BBC that he should be the man for the yeah. big occasion and and I think arguably that that strengthened him because I think you've got the Lennon-McCartney thing here where you've got two two guys who are egging each other on and you can't afford to become sedentary because the other guy will take your place and, I, and, and it's funny you know people would assume that they would know each other very well in terms of seeing each other all the time and stuff like at their peak but no, because because they're working for the same company, they they would have always been at different games. So, you know, he's at Old Trafford, Barry Davis would have been at Elland Road, he's up at St. James's Park, Barry Davis was at Highbury, whatever it was. So they wouldn't actually have come into each other's orbit all that much. Now, of course, you know, as life goes on, they'd have met each other at a million do's and dinners and whatnot. But in terms of a working relationship, that would have been the voice of, oh God, he's good. He's getting the go. Why, why didn't I get that game? You know, this is the this is the big relegation battle. Why why am I doing a mid-table game today? But I think that rivalry between them spurred them them both on and 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 didn't allow either of them to uh, to, to let the standards drop. And I, I remember, I mean, this is maybe five years ago now. Um, doing a program in the BBC where they wanted to talk about just the you know the city word, but the kind of the art of football commentary and how it's done. And I was invited on. I remember thinking, I'm on a show with John Motson and Barry Davis, and I remember thinking like that's like being on a you know a songwriting thing with Lennon and McCartney. Mm. I mean, you know, it 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 doesn't get any better than that. We heard the montage there, and I'm talking about the Ronnie Radford goal and. <laughs> the importance of that goal to his career. So it's 1972, it's FA Cup third round replay, Hereford, Newcastle United. And five minutes ago, Ronnie Rodford scores this wonder goal that everybody can instantly visualise, but also hear John Motson's commentary over it. He says in that that I wouldn't be sitting here if Ronnie Mm. Radford hadn't scored that goal. Do you believe that? 
Yeah, well, no, I don't know if I believe that. He might, he might, have, he might have, you know, worked his way through. It might have taken a bit longer. That was the big break. And I think, look, on, on way smaller scales, I think anyone in broadcasting needs a break of some sort. And you often hear, you know, news correspondents who, you know, were in America anyway when 9-11 happened and suddenly they were, on, you know, thrust in front of the screen. Being in the right place at the right time works. And I think over the years, a lot of young broadcasters end up going to third round FA Cup games hoping that they'll get the big story I mean usually the Premier League team just hammers the non-league team and move on and we never talk about it again but you know once in a blue moon you get the big shock and you get the big surprise and you hope that you're the guy who's been there that day because your voice will be associated with that for forever after that that propelled him into the the national um, consciousness he became a household name sort of overnight and then you know as you said right at the very start what I think the key for him is you know he wasn't stupidly poetic he didn't he didn't sort of over egg the pudding but for me when when something important happened this little change of gear in his voice where he got more excited and you knew so whether it was you were glued to the game or maybe you're in the pub with your mates and it's just kind of on in the background when Marty got excited you know you're, oh, something's mm. about to happen here and that energy is I think what 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 he was able to do you know probably better than anyone else I assume it was the the politics and the workings of the BBC that he wasn't really ever known as a radio commentator because that style that he had that energy that he brought the way his tone changed Mm. would have been so suited to radio where you are driving along and you hear this well, thing whereas obviously Alan Green was sort of the main man for so many years yeah, yeah no he was I look, look Matty was the main TV guy for ages what, what you got to remember is this and, and I think maybe it's a, a thing that people sort of outside the industry don't quite grasp is you see so Matty when it came to things like World Cups those were the live games he got to do because over the course of a year yes there might be a few FA Cup games or whatnot but because of the rights he invariably was, was match of the day so he was doing pre-recorded games so he's at the stadium, he's doing the full 90-minute commentary, they're editing it down. But that sort of buzz of being live, I mean, you know yourself, you know, the, the, you can't replicate that buzz when it's actually live for real. And when it came to things like World Cups, that was the moment he got to do that. But, it, you know, you think, oh, it's Matt, he's done it a million times before. Actually, you know, it, it might have been a few months since he lasted a live game, or he may only have done four or five live games in that year. And yet he had to produce with 20 million people watching mm. um, those sort of high standards. With the And then because he's got that, that high status as the number one guy on the TV, he didn't do ready as much, but he, he did really enjoy it. And then as his career uh, was coming to an end, uh, and I, you know, I say coming to an end, you know, because it went on for 50 years, you know, probably something the last 15 years of it, um, he, he used to do more and more radio games and it was to get that buzz, that buzz of being live um, broadcasting, which, you know, is it, sort of a drug that, that that we're all addicted to and you you can't replicate it any other way. But he he was very good on the radio, um, but, uh, you know, people will always remember him as the, the, the man for the TV and the big moment, you know, voice of authority, be it, you know, a serious moment or be it a humorous moment, he was able to make that gear change. And, you know, when you think how easy it is to have pitfalls and flops, you don't really remember any massive bloopers that Matty did. He, he played it safe in a good way and kept the excitement. That's actually one of the greatest testaments to him is that it's very hard yeah. to yeah. find a moment where he yeah. got it wrong. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And it got, you know, it, it's he he played it safe. You know, there's often you look back at it now, and a goal will go in, and you can tell he didn't know. You know, was that number eight or number eighteen who got it? But his wisdom and his his experience told him, don't gamble. You know, young enthusiastic commentators, and I was one myself when I started. Oh, I need to know, so I need to guess. And you take, oh crap, I got it wrong. And he didn't need. To, he was it's okay. You know, I can just wait a moment. I can. He's panicking on the inside, but he he kept it all cool on the outside. And I I think that is to his credit, definitely. I'd imagine at all these tournaments you covered together, there were a few good nights out. 
Yeah, look, he loved his glass of wine. There's no doubt about that. He was, uh, he. I think the, the fairest thing to say is that it's a life well lived. Okay, he he enjoyed himself. He'd, he he had a good status. But as I alluded to earlier, and I've you know I've noticed this with people like I think Claire Balding is a good example. Someone who's just so famous and so well known, and everyone who meets them think, oh, you know, that that's my friend. You know, because they're so they're so well known. And you know, he he's had to deal with any night out with him was people coming over, wanting a chat, wanting to chat to their mate, if you like. But you've got that multiplied by thousands of times. So I've seen them had to duck away and leave things early. And it's basically, you know, when Matty came into the room, he created a scene. He, he found it difficult to just sit in the corner and be left alone. Um, but, you know, that that's a modern thing of celebrity. But I guess worth remembering for a guy who's, I guess, most famous for his voice, he was also a very, you know, arguably the most famous person in, in, in Britain over, over a very long time. Connor, uh, it's been brilliant to talk to you in a, a fitting <laughs> tribute uh, for the late John Motson. Cheers, Nathan. Catch you later. Cheers. Conor McNamara there, uh, BBC commentator, uh, of course, well-known Irish voice as well, uh, remembering John Motson.